0: Welcome to a special presentation of Sellout Crowd Conversations with Coach. I'm Bob Stoops, I'm taking time to talk with my friends and colleagues in the sports world to get caught up and share stories. But first, I wanna pay special thanks to these sponsors, Rose Hill Builders, Laser Light Skin Clinic, and Louie's Bar & Grill. Today, I'm joined by my good buddy of over 23 years, I call him Big T, but the rest of the world knows him as the Big Dog Daddy, Toby Keith. Big T, thanks for joining me here today, buddy. We got a lot to talk about, my friend.
1: Well, I don't know if we can do it in 15 minutes, but we'll try. No, <laughs>
0: no we're going to spread this out for, for the okay. whole week for 30 or 45 minutes. Uh, we go back so much, and you got such a story. And uh, we're going to let the whole world know about it uh, right off the bat. A guy that's got forty over over forty million albums, not records or not albums sold, and uh, I want to start with eleven years. You went on the USO tours, you know. Right yeah. off that, you know that's such a gift to those people. And that those weren't a couple of days; those were a couple of weeks uh, when you went did those USO tours. Toby, talk about that.
1: Thanks, Bob. We, uh, we, uh, started about 2001 or two, somewhere in there. And for the next 11 years, we joined forces with the USO, uh, because the USO, um, has done it for so long and, um, they don't, you know, they don't pay their artists. You go, you know, you just go for free and that's the, the route we chose to take. And so our, our group went over there. We chose two weeks a year in May, April or May. We'd go to Iraq a week and Afghanistan a week. We'd land on a big base like in Iraq. We'd land in Baghdad or Tikrit or Bagram. I mean, uh, uh, Bagram's in Afghanistan, but we'd land in those big bases over there. And then we would uh, hub out during the day and me and my buddy Scotty and my little group, you know, Mitch, and uh, there was four or five of us. And we'd go down range. We'd play for 25 guys at a little base. And then jump to another one and do it. We'd come in and play at the band on the big one. And then we would move to the Creek. And we would do the same thing we'd hub out. And so for 14 days, 11 years, we did 240 shows. And I made so many relationships and got to see so many things that um, people don't normally get to see, you know, historical places. And uh, it was a great learning thing. It was a great uh, soul inspiring thing to do. And uh, we loved it.
0: What a what a gift to, to those servicemen. I mean, have a chance to relax, get a little bit lighthearted, listen to you uh, for a little and, while. That, that had to be enjoyable
1: just to give them that gift. Yeah. And you know, I, I was influenced over there because I wanted to go in and it'd be fun. So I didn't just want to go in and do American Soldier and stuff like that all the time. So through the years, I developed a song list that that was inspired over there. And I wrote some really funny songs that were <laughs> comical that only they would know, you know, that the the, the uh, lyric in the song was only lyric that they would know. And so those became very popular among the service folks. And to this day, every single show I play, they're there. And uh, we let them come backstage and, and, uh, and we rekindle those old, relationships and tell stories they've always want to tell their story you know about where they were when they saw me but uh even my anesthesiologist at md anderson when i was down there getting treatment uh she signed up for all five of my surgeries and she was she was a marine and she would saw me in afghanistan and iraq and she said i signed up for you because i want to make sure you're taken care of so how about uh, that? No, it, it full, that it come full it come full circle mm-hmm.
0: And I know you go back to your, your father was in the military. Talk about your dad.
1: He, uh, I think he, I think he went to the service to quit. So he didn't have cut broom corn in Lindsay, Oklahoma anymore. (laughs) But (laughs) that that was a broom corn capital world. And, uh, and I think he his dad would make him get up before school and go work a little and send him to school and come back, change into his work clothes. And of course go again till dark 30, but, um, he went over and, and uh, the whole reason we went on the USO tour, he had just passed away in a car wreck the year before. And so he had always asked me and I was really, really busy out there trying to create my career. He had always asked me why I don't go overseas to play for the troops. And I said, you know, I will. And uh, I never got to do it in front of him. So I said, uh, when he, when he passed away, I said, I'm going to go. And uh, yeah. so we signed up, but he'd, he lost his eye over there and came home, and and uh, he never did. You know, I was seventeen or eighteen years old before I knew that discolored eye was blind. He never complained about it. He was really, really, um, you know, no one could solicitors couldn't get in our house or knock on our door, but a, a veteran administration or a veteran association could show up, and he would uh, he'd allow them in the house, give them coffee, and and uh, support their cause. So. I tried to make that live on through him.
0: Yeah, how about that? Now, I think you've told me now all your time over there in Afghanistan and all those places over those 11 years, you were shot at a few times in a helicopter, weren't you?
1: Yeah, and the reason we didn't, you know, (laughs) we don't really talk about it very much because we want people to go over there. You know, (laughs) we don't want to discourage anybody to go. But in 240 shows when you're leaving fire bases and stuff, you're just in a military Hel- helicopter, you know, and right. uh, nothing big, no RPGs or nothing, but, you know, small arms fire and stuff like that coming in and out. Uh, General Frutiger was with us one time. He was our liaison and we came out of Mosul East and we're headed to Mosul West and that's a probably 3 million people there, I think. So we were going to play the east side and then fly to the west side and we were flying sideways and I'm like looking at him, I'm like, well, why in the hell are we flying sideways? And he had the headset on. I didn't. And so then we straightened back up, and he held his finger up said, you know, like, I'll tell you when we get there. He said, we'd come under small arms fire as we were leaving. And I was like, would well, have been nice to give a cowboy a shotgun or something. <laughs> Dang. But, uh, it, it's uh, – yeah. it was – they're going to take care of you when you go over there. You're in the best hands, and when you learn to trust them. That first two or three years, I didn't go downrange. I yeah. just played the big green zones, and – everybody can do that. Senators go in there and dignitaries all the time. But as the years progressed and I started to trust them, they were like, you want to go down range? And I was like, hell yeah, let's go.
0: (laughs) Cowboy that you are, but, uh, (laughs) big T everybody wants to know, of course, update how you're feeling. Uh, you must be feeling good because I know you've scheduled a couple of shows in Las Vegas. Talk about how you're feeling and, 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 and the show's coming up.
1: Uh, I feel pretty good. It's a roller coaster all the time with this stuff. May I, I have the resources financially and otherwise to get the best treatments I can get. And they're taking great care of me and I'm getting all the latest, uh, stuff you can get. And, uh, in fact, I'm going tomorrow to Florida to see another guy down there that, uh, it's got some other kind of treatments and I'm trying them all. I'm throwing the kitchen sink at, but uh, I have a big enough platform that if it can do me some good, then maybe I'm seeing all the pitfalls in this, that, you know, cancer is an Island and you're on a boat and nobody goes over to that Island when you don't have it. And as soon as you crash land on it, there's a lot of boats there, you know, everybody's got this stuff and it's more than people think. uh, And, uh, and uh, so I was like, you know, if, if I can survive this and live to tell my story, maybe I can save somebody else's life.
0: That's awesome. boy. Well, you're always, you're always there lending a hand to people, but uh, here most recently you were, you got the people's choice icon award and you, you sang, don't let the big man in.
1: The old and, man. Uh,
0: it has gone to number one, right? Uh, right. Uh, shortly after, you, you given that live performance. Um, talk about a couple of things, just that going to number one. And everybody wants to know the story of how you, how you wrote that song and why you wrote it.
1: So about three or four years ago, um, I'd been invited several years ago through, you'd been there too, through that Pebble Beach Celebrity Tournament. Uh, Clint Eastwood was a big part of that. Well, he has a course there in Monterey called Tehama. And he had invited me out and said, if you'll come, you'll be my partner in the vent for three days. And I wasn't going to pass that up. Everybody, everybody knows Clint Eastwood. And, and of course I go way back when I was a child, my mom said, your brother and sister would watch cartoons and you'd sit cross-legged in the floor and watch Rawhide. So I go way back with being a fan of of Clint and uh, we were playing golf and somebody said his birthday was Monday and it, this was a Saturday. And I said, what are you going to do to celebrate your birthday, Clint? He said, I'm going to go shoot a movie called The Mule in Georgia. And I said, what keeps you going? And he said, I just try to be productive every day and don't let that old man in. And, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, and being a songwriter, I was like, wow, what a, what an idea. So I came home and was literally so focused on that song for several days that uh, we were driving down the road and my wife said uh, she was over there talking to me we are going into town to eat dinner and and she said, you didn't hear a word I just said did you and I said no and and she's been through this before and she goes uh why? And I said I'm, wrote a I'm working few songs, on that. I think <laughs> huh you've yeah. wrote a few songs <laughs> yeah I said, well I'm working on that song and she just threw her hands up and said ah right, never mind then it's not time to talk to you Because it's like I had it circling the boat, but I didn't have it hooked, but I didn't have it in the boat yet. And uh, so when I got it done, I sent it to him and I said, and I knew he's doing a movie, but I just wanted to send him the song to thank him for the inspiration for writing what I thought was a great song. And and the next day he called me back. He said, you know, what's funny is they call me the old man in this movie the whole way. And I'm going to put this movie, this song in my movie. So I was like, good. He goes, what I need to do? I said, nothing. He goes, I want to pay your nuts. It just, it's yours. Just put it in there. And so, uh, so now, he did and it didn't, it, it, the movie wasn't, I guess, wasn't very big, but it's right at the very end of the movie where it rolls into credits and he played the whole thing. Um, the timing for this the other night, at the people's choice icon on NBC was, uh, Dick Clark's son rack was the producer and he's the one that chose this song. And I, i was going to do another song blake Shelton had to sing one of mine and then present me with the icon and i was going to do something up tempo and fun and he said no, i want you to do this so they were right the timing was perfect and it affected everybody enough because they're words to live by and with the situation i've been going through it really resonated with the people so uh that's it went right straight to the top
0: yeah no no doubt and uh I know I was lucky enough and Carol, my wife and a bunch of our friends to go, uh, to New York. When you won the song, you got inducted into the songwriters hall of fame, which was mm-hmm. really cool. What, what a great night. And I know the pride you take in writing songs and, and not just singing songs, but being able to, to write them, produce them, all of that. And, uh, And, uh, just, just talk about the pride in doing that. It's such a, such a gift.
1: Well, what the, what the record, the recording industry didn't know, music industry didn't know is whether I'd have been an artist or not, it wouldn't have mattered. I was going to, all I wanted to be was a songwriter. So all the other stuff was secondary to me. So when I went in the worldwide songwriters hall of fame, and then I went in the national songwriters hall of fame, both times I said, uh, these are the only two things I ever wanted. These were the two these were my Super Bowls. You know what I mean? These were these were the two things that I wanted to be known for. And uh, accomplishing those things over a thirty year career was was uh you know, the acme of the whole the paramount of the whole thing. And I I I still mean it. It's the bloodline of the industry. Most people don't write that sing, and I I just always wanted to sing my own songs and I was fortunate enough to have a vehicle to deliver them.
0: Now, you've got a, a, an album coming out of strictly songs that are only only you wrote. When will that right. be released?
1: I'm not sure. It's coming out pretty quick, but um, they've been, I've seen all the pressers on it. I know that it's coming. And I noticed during that NBC event that they kept talking about 100% songwriters. So there's a thing we do as writers where you write by yourself and then with your, a couple of your buddies that you learn through, you you meet through the years that are great writers that you trust and that know what you're what you're trying to accomplish they'll come to you with ideas or you can go to them with ideas and you can sit down and, and it's a joy uh the the beauty about the beauty about writing a song with somebody else is when you you know when you've written a smash you know what i mean you know when you've wrote something very good uh, even if it's not a smash you know that you've written a great song and you celebrate right there on the spot. You're like, we got that done and kind of high five. When you write one by yourself, it's like hitting a hole in one by yourself. There's no one there to celebrate with. <laughs> so, but through the years, I've wrote a lot by myself and co-wrote with a few people, a handful of people that were very close to me. And I just got word that uh, album comes out November 3rd.
0: Awesome. November 3rd. Yeah. All, all mm-hmm. of the songs. All right. Talking about a hole in one. Back in the day, uh, what, what, what would have been uh, uh, 98, maybe 99? Uh, you should have been a cowboy, uh, yeah, that that's kind of your breakthrough hit, right? That that kind of right. put you on the map. What, was it 98?
1: Yeah, and it was 93.
0: 93. 93. I'm sorry, I was a little that's old. Right. but anyway, talk about tell everyone uh, you've told me the story, I love it, of how you wrote. Again, a whole in one song. You should have been a cowboy.
1: So I had my rec- had my record deal, but the album wasn't out yet, and they were still wanting some more songs to finish it. And we went on a pheasant hunting trip with about twenty guys from Oklahoma City area, and one of them was a highway patrolman. And we went to Dodge City, Kansas, and we were going to hunt stubble fields. And uh, Dodge City, of course was the city where Gunsmoke was, you know, sat with Marshall Dillon and all that. Well, there were a lot of things in that town that referred to that, like, referenced that. Like, and I don't remember the names of them, but they had, like, they could have had a Festus Barbecue or a Miss Kitty Saloon or, you know, something like that. Right. But anyway, being in Dodge City, you just think about the history of the place subconsciously. And uh, we were in a steakhouse that had a band bar and a grill and they we're all in hunting clothes hunting clothes and 20 uh, guys sitting around the table been st- stinky guys been in a field all day hunting <laughs> and uh this cowgirl comes up to the bar and one of the guys gets up and goes i'm gonna go two-step with her and he takes off and she shoots him down he's about twice her age and and uh and about five minutes later a young cowboy comes in there and snatches her out on the dance floor and and the highway patrolman said, uh, Bill, you should have been a cowboy. <laughs> and I went, okay. So I went back to the hotel and my manager was with me and, uh, they had us all two to a room in this little mot- motel and everybody's wanting to go to bed and get up early and hunt. And he'd made me bring a, had me bring a guitar up there. He said, they do a campfire thing. You may want to play some songs. And so, I had that guitar. So I snuck in the bathroom and sat on the side of that old tub and shut the door and wrote that song about 20 minutes. <laughs>
0: Seriously, 20 minutes. You should have been a cowboy.
1: It just fell out of the sky. It just happened to be the only one up when it floated by, I guess. <laughs>
0: that's, that's beautiful. Um,
1: welcome to the 2023 ffb awards highlights and first fidelity bank is on a tear right now here we have them in their element making some big forbes best in state bank plays oh wow they're going going and they bring home okc's community choice award thank you clef then right and dive right into victory with the journal records reader rankings when ffb hits the field they always play to win
0: all right, let's, let's go back. Everyone knows Big T the last 30 years and the success and, you know, uh, you know, just worldwide, everything you've done. Let's talk about you as a young person, and I want to get to some football. I know what, what a football guy you are. You played young. You know, the coming up years, what people really don't know. Yeah. What I think is really cool growing up in Moore, Oklahoma – Think born and needed, I think, and uh, uh Ed, and then uh but uh you know talk about talk about those young years of being a being a think baseball and football. I know what a baseball fan you are as well as football, and being a sooner did you go to any sooner games as a young kid that kind of
1: stuff so I was born in Clinton. A little town north of Clinton's Arapaho. We were living there. My dad was working on a drilling rig in Wheeler, Texas, across the line. And he had rented a house. Him and my mother had rented a house in uh, Arapahoe and there was another guy that worked in the old field and his young wife lived next door. And so she drove mom into Clinton and I was born there. And then uh, my sister was born in Ardmore two years later. His rig moved down south and then my little brother was born in Oklahoma City. So we we're always around, around the area, and uh, and what's crazy is with all the success I've had. There's not much population in western Oklahoma; it's pretty sparse. But me and Jimmy Webb and Roger Miller, I mean, both those guys have monstrous catalogs, and all three of us were born in a little area out there, not very many miles apart. How about that? And- so it must be something in the water out there. I don't know. But anyway, we, we settled in more in a grade school. My dad pitched on the Lindsay high school team. My grandpa pitched in the farm leagues and my dad's sister, son, my cousin pitched for a Chickasha and dad said, you're going to be a pitcher. And, uh, I couldn't throw a strike. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was, had a lot of size to me and, so when I started playing football, that started translating to fun. And uh, he, he wasn't all about that. And then so it took several years before he finally uh, was cool with it. But uh, I played, uh, played football, got into high school and was going to go to college to work on a petroleum engineer degree. And my dad was by now as Midcontinent Regional Manager of a worldwide oil service company. And he said, "You know we we sign these kids out of college, and we you know we pay them this much he goes, you can work for me four years, not go to college, and we'll send you to Houston to our school, and you'll learn the our industry, what we do in two weeks at a time, and we'll pay you to fly down there and By the time four years four or five years of college go by or whatever to get your degree, he goes, I can send you to Saudi Arabia.'" you can be making five times that much money or you can go anywhere in the world you want to work. But he said, uh, so I agreed to do it. And, uh, and had to give it all, give everything up. And I went and did it and three years in the oil boom crashed and went to nothing. And, uh, so I had to revert back and go, now, what am I going to do? And he retired.
0: How old were you then?
1: I was uh, 21 and, uh, the USFL had just started and I'd regretted not playing ball. So I started working out. I was behind the curve a little bit, but I'd been working out. I've been working hard in the so I used to lift an iron every day. So right. I was fit. Right. So I started running again and they had tryouts for a semi-pro league, the Oklahoma City Drillers. So I show up and they had coaches there and they took us all to your position coaches and they looked at you and then they, they either give you a try or they didn't then. And they took about 300 guys. And my wife was going, we had a young, you know, Shelly was a two-year-old baby. And uh, she was, we're living in an apartment over on 240. So I'm working in the day and then going to football practice at night. She's like, what the hell are you doing? I said, I got to know. I just got to (laughs) know. And so they cut it to 150, then 100, then 80. And then the next day, 70. And I think they traveled with about 60 and they were down to their last four cuts. And every day I'd come in and she would go, well, and I go, I made it. And so that last day I go, I'm probably going to get cut today. And, uh, and I walked in and I was, looked like sad sack. She goes, she had dinner ready. And I said, she goes, well, did you make it? She was, what happened? I said, I made it. And it was almost disappointing to her. She was hoping I said I didn't make it. So for the next two years, uh, we traveled around and played, uh, Wichita, Dallas, Houston, Denver. Right. Yeah. And, and we won the league, but the unique story out of that was that Blake Griffin's dad, Tommy Griffin, was thirty one years old and he was our middle linebacker. He was the inside linebacker.
0: How about I didn't know that. How about that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh so here's all these young guys. I'm the only guy on the roster when you open the program up the game that doesn't have a college listed by his name. <laughs> and uh it just said NA, <laughs> and then uh, and it had your age and size and weight out there. And there's Tommy, thirty one, thirty two years old, and and as nice a guy as he is today. And I've talked to him about this several times through Blake's social, you know, Planet OU. But the beautiful part about Tommy is that he's so nice. As back then, I said he wasn't that nice. You looked into his helmet, and and he was he was a mean cat on the field, but he was a great athlete.
0: Yeah. So you you graduated. I, I like to say you say from honky tonk. You were you yeah. were you playing in between at, at this time? Like when did you start going out and doing your gigs out in all the different honky tonks?
1: So we had started in right out, right in high school. We started. I I was at a song. I saw this thing. I want to be a songwriter, and, and I knew songs. these these guys were. Uh, this was uh, probably my senior year, junior senior. I started uh, going over these older, there's older guys. And I noticed that these three or four guys would sit on the couch and write songs and play. And the other guys and girls would sit on the floor and around, have a beer. And, and they were just fascinated with these songs. And so I joined in one day and, and there was a guy there and he said, hey, we got a little band and we need a singer. And we don't have a songwriter or a lead guy or nothing, you know, lead singer. So I went over in this guy's garage and we started, started a little band together and we're playing weddings and weekend bars. Like, you know, where the water tower is, has my name on it. Right. Right under, right underneath that used to be an old rusty water tower until they painted it up nice and, and wanted to put well, your mirrors. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, right underneath that was a really, really big bar. It was a dive and it was called the feed store. And we would play in there for $35 and uh, all the beer you could drink on Friday and Saturday. So we had little local gigs here on Friday, Saturday evening, you know, in the night. And then uh, we'd branch out, and play another one over on shields, but they were all dives. And so when the boom busted and the oil field was gone, uh, we said, Hey, maybe we can go regional. So we took it regional. And for five or six years we played everywhere between Phoenix, to Little Rock, east and west, and from Kansas City to to the Gulf of Mexico south, wow. um, and we just were in five nights a week, come home for two days, drop a little money off, get in the van and trailer and roll again. We were pretty much gypsies until I got my record deal.
0: How about? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming I know Big T. you you getting a scuff here and there. You didn't you didn't get in any bar fights through those years, did you?
1: <laughs> well. You know the band members, the the old band members. When I see them, they said uh, he was a uh, lead singer, songwriter, acoustic player, and bouncer. <laughs> we, but we had a deal. We'd cut a deal with the uh, the manager of the dive. We'd say, hey, you know, if we bring you this much money, and we had a really good following, said if you bring this much money, and I'll bonus you at the end of the night. Well, if a fight broke out, the place would clear out, and they'd go to another bar down the street. And we wouldn't get our bonus. So, second, I'd see if I break out, I'd try to get it broke up and get them out the door so we didn't lose our bonus. <laughs> it was all about the dollars, baby. <laughs> uh, trying
0: to, now, did, because everyone, I always, so did you, when did you know you play the guitar and could sing? I mean, did, when that guy said, hey, we need a singer, you, were you already singing? Or were you already playing the, the guitar?
1: Yeah, interesting. Uh, so, my grandmother played piano and had a, Supper club with a three piece two piece horn band, upright bass drummer, baby grand piano, she had a supper club in Fort Smith it was very, very popular so as a kid, she bought me a guitar when I was eight years old, so I started learning chords when I was eight years old. Well, the singing part was a gift of God because she played and sang, and my mother had a recording contract with Capitol Records when she was twenty. And uh, she gave it up to have me and moved out to Clinton, Oklahoma with my dad. Uh-huh. So my mom could sing. And then, of course, you've heard my daughter, you know, yeah. she had a recording. Yeah. Deal. So it's that's given down, you know, through our genes. But uh, the guitar part, my grandmother got me a guitar. And so I would go stay with her in the summer times when I was a kid. And uh, one night, the guitar player had a Masonic Lodge meeting each week. And he wouldn't be there, and they would go without a guitar player. And she would let me take my guitar up there, and they wouldn't plug me in or nothing, but I'd sit up there and play, and everybody danced by and say, There's Hilda's grandson, you know. And I thought I was something, you know. How old were you? I I was probably 10. And you wrote eight to to
0: 12.
1: Do what you wrote a song about that? Yeah, Clancy's Tavern. I wrote a song about that. Clancy's Tavern, yeah. That, that was an album. That was an album title. And in fact, that's the song that I sang at the songwriters hall of fame in New York. When they, I said, this is the reason I'm is because my grandmother that's got right. me a guitar and, and I was bitten by the bug early. And so it was never a single, but I wanted to sing that and honor her, but it was a, that tells the whole story. That's a true story.
0: Yeah. That's, that's awesome. 10 years old. You're sitting in with the band. That's yeah. Great. Hey, and then I, I get the chance of uh, ninety nine. I know about you. I know your songs, and uh, and 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 I'm my first year at Oklahoma, and then the next year, two thousand. Of course, we go on that unbelievable run, being undefeated, and we're in the national championship game. And I see, I see, hey, the guy singing the national anthem. I go, that's our guy. I go, that's Toby. That's Toby. King. That's our, you know, like I knew from around. I go. I'm hitting somebody next to me. I I already felt good about the game. Like we we couldn't go wrong, you know. And I said yeah. on top of it, I go. That's our guy out there. I go. Oh hell yeah. I go. We, I I just knew. I go. We're winning this game. <laughs> and you you, see you the not- national anthem. And then we hang out all night after the game. We had a party. The Orange Bull put on a party for no end. Went till they they grabbed me at six in the morning to go get showered to go to to go to ESPN interviews and whatnot, but uh, we hung, that's when I first got to know you in 2000, and we've been running around ever since, but that that was pretty neat, you you being at our national uh, championship game and singing the national
1: anthem. You know what was fake was the year before, I was playing uh, amphitheater, West Palm Beach or somewhere down there, and the Orange Bowl guys were there, and they said, what we got to do to get you to sing the anthem at the Orange Bowl next year? And I said, just ask. I'll come down to do it. Well, then you guys go on an unbelievable run. I'm already scheduled to play. Y'all get there, and as I come out, you know, Florida State's an agriculture. You know, it's a it's Florida State's like country people. They they got a lot of country fans there. So I walk out, and they're all cheering, you know, because a country guy's there. And then I go out and sing the anthem, and I come over your sideline. They start booing me. <laughs> so. <laughs> they go, oh, he's a Sooner, oh no.
0: And then you were kind enough, we get home, maybe a week later, five days later, we have the celebration at the stadium for everybody, for the fans to come and the team to be recognized. And we show the highlights of the season, and most of them with seniors. And you you sing, how do you like me now? Because yeah. our seniors had been beat up. They hadn't had a winning year and four, five, six years ahead of this national championship. And uh, that that was pretty special. I'll never forget that.
1: Yeah, uh, that was a, that was a, that song was perfect for that. And that song had just been number one for three weeks. That was album of the year. and So it was all timing was good on it. Uh, great celebration. Um, you know, uh, I want to talk about, I want to talk about this before I forget about it, but Uh, You're too humble to talk about it, but Drake's playing his butt off. He's he's the epitome. He's the example of what uh, football players do and what what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to respond and act. And the whole Sooner Nation couldn't be prouder of Drake. And I I know back when you guys, when Kelvin Sampson was here, we had a big Christmas party at my house. And we've talked about this story before, but I want to tell it. Uh, My son, Steeleman, was little. And he had a bed that was uh, built like a rock cave, like a caveman cave and had a dinosaur up on top of it and a rope ladder. (laughs) And you brought them twins over here, Drake and Isaac. And that we put all the kids upstairs. We were down having a glass of wine and watching football and having big feast on and Josie and Kelvin and maybe Sherry Cole, but the whole crew was here out here at my ranch. And I go upstairs and them two boys, are doing swan dives off the top of that <laughs> rock cave and hitting the foot of the bed, which is only about three foot exposed and then bouncing over into the wall. And I, I came down there. I said, Bob, you better come up here and look at these boys. I said, uh, <laughs> they're, they're a little bitty. I mean, they weren't very old and, uh, they were like three or four and they were just head diving eight, 10 feet, hitting the head, head first on the foot of that bed and then bouncing over into the wall and then running fast. They couldn't climb that ladder again. You went up there and you said, Hey, every time they get stitches, it always starts. To... How does it start at the hospital when they get stitches? So how did this happen? You know, one, want they want to know
0: the story and it always starts with, well, my brother and I <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. every time, well, no doubt. Well, you're, you and Carol are way too humble, but it's time to start bragging on him. He, uh, the Sooner Nation's proud to have him, and uh, I don't know what we'll, how we'll replace him next year, but he's been a wonderful Sooner, and, and he fits right into your, right into your uh, teaching and coaching. He does everything right, and we're proud of him, so yeah. I had to say that.
0: I appreciate it, Big T. He's got that OU DNA, hashtag. He was born with it, right? Like, That's um, right. Funny story, real quick, Kellen uh, Sampson, uh, Kelvin's son, was coaching them when they were like five, in the uh, you know in the camp they have every summer. So Kellen, it's the last minute of the game. He Kellen just said, "Don't let him score. Just don't whatever you do, don't let him score. Don't let him get the ball." What do you think? The kid goes down the the court. What do you think Drake does? He tackled. him. Yeah, he
1: tackled him. <laughs> 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 of course,
0: Kellen. Kellen was dying laughing, telling me he goes, That's he literally just said, Don't let him get the ball. So he tackled him where he couldn't hit the ball. But well, that's
1: what he that, that's what he knew best.
0: Yeah, that's that's what he's taught to do. Well, big T, um, we're excited to see you in Las Vegas, right? What are the dates again? Las
1: Vegas, you got a couple so, of shows coming up. So we're gonna we're gonna go the tenth and eleventh. And uh and then they said if everything goes well. They're going to add some more shows, but, uh, we're, we've got, to, we don't know what we're, you know, I haven't worked in two years, so we're just going to go figure it out. But, um, it's a great opportunity to get back out. You can't, uh, you know, like my sister told me, she said you got cancer, but cancer don't have you. So, you know, I'm doing good just because I'm going through treatments. So I just can't sit around. This is the first two years of my whole life I've ever been off work. Right. And, uh, so I got to get busy and, uh, um, and, and you just can't let it define your future. You just have to keep looking forward and going. And, uh, and it's been a wonderful outpouring of prayers. Every single person walks up and, uh, you know, says, Hey, we're praying for you, we're pulling for you. And, and that kind of stuff and keeping a positive attitude goes good. But, uh, it's, I've been very blessed and, uh, and I've lived 10 lifetimes. So I've got my brain wrapped around all this. I'm a man of faith and I, I know what I'm doing and uh, the almighty's riding shotgun. So we're just going to, we're just going to get our jam back on.
0: I love it. I love it. uh, I've heard you been around you here in the last few months, you've been out singing and you always sound great, of course. And, uh, you know, Carol and I, and our our whole crew here in Norman will be there with you in Vegas. You bet on that. So you're, you're going to join me on this. And I know you and I are both part here of, uh, you know, partnership with a uh, sellout crowd. So this has been fun, big T I appreciate you sharing whatever. And,
1: and we're getting ready to have our party. And I'm also probably going to start some kind of a crazy podcast. I'm just looking for which direction to do it, but you know, I can get all the old Sooners on here too. And, and I get a lot of entertainers on here. So if there's a spot for that, I'm probably going to, but I guess, I just want to know, uh, I got to get it in my head what direction to do, but I'd like to, I'd like to have some kind of a fun little podcast myself.
0: You, you, you think that wouldn't be good? You'd, oh, <laughs> how long before you got Sammy Hager on there with you?
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Or, or anybody that yeah. any of them knuckleheads.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're the best. Live
1: from Cabo. Live from Cabo.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're the best big T. Appreciate you joining us here today. Glad to do it, Bob. I'll see you tonight. All right, bro. That wraps up this installation of Conversations with Coach. Follow and subscribe to this channel and visit selloutcrowd.com to find out about upcoming programs.